So we're finishing up the marriage series today. You may be seated, unless you want to keep on worshiping after that. I understand. Um, I have a simple question, I think, before we even get started, is that we've sung a lot about a God who... His love never fails. A God who will meet us in the desert, in the, in, the, in, the, in the dry places. But the great I am. But do we, do we seek that God with that much passion to heal our marriages? And it's the question that I, I've been asking myself even this week is I like to talk about God... And I throw that around and it kind of rattles around in my head and my heart. But in the really, 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 really important things, like my marriage, am I engaging with God to deal with those issues in, in these relationships? So it's a simple question. If I can sing about the great I am, if I can sing about his love never failing Am I willing to try to put that in the context of my marriage? Even as the pastor, I'll admit to you that sometimes I forget that step. And if we serve a God who, who created marriage with a purpose and with a, with a plan and we... we we step into that. If we want to step into all that God has for us, and all the beauty that God has for us in our marriage, and we're not tapping into to God, what are, we, what are we doing? We're missing a huge chunk of this. Today, I want to talk about, we've been working through best practices of marriage. We've been doing uh, that. If you work anywhere, there is a thing called best practices, and that's how you're supposed to do everything the best way. And so we, I did my very first acronym. My wife's very proud of me. Uh, we use the acronym BEST, and I left as a cliffhanger if you can't, aren't very good at spelling, but that's okay. We did B-E, blessing, edify. It's even on the back of your bulletin, so you could catch up if you missed last week. And today we're going to finish the word BEST. But we're, so we're looking at the best practices of marriage. Last week was all about submission. It's always fun to talk about. And this week we're going to center on communication. Got a, came across this and I thought this was really interesting for communication. Dear tech support, last year I upgraded from boyfriend 5.0 to husband 1.0. And noticed a distinct slowdown in overall system performance. <clears throat> Particularly in the flower and jewelry applications, which operated flawlessly under Boyfriend 5.0. In addition, Husband 1.0 installed many other valuable programs such as Romance 9.5, Personal Attention 6.5, and then installed undesirable programs such as NBA 5.0, NFL <laughs> 3.0 and golf clubs 4.1. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs and house cleaning 2.6 simply crashes the system. <laughs> Please note that I have tried running nagging 5.3 to fix these problems, but to no avail. What can I do? Signed, Desperate. Dear Desperate, first, keep in mind that boyfriend 5.0 is an entertainment package, while husband 1.0 is an operating system. 
please enter the command, I thought you loved me, and download Tears 6.2, and be sure to install the Guilt 3.0 update. <clears throat> if those applications work as designed, Husband 1.0 should then automatically run the applications Jewelry 2.0 and Flowers 3.5. However, please remember the overuse of above, ap- above applications can cause Husband 1.0 to default to Grumpy Silence 2.5, Happy Hour 7.0, or Beer 6.1. Please note that Beer 6.1 is a very bad program and it will download the Snoring Loudly beta. Whatever you do, do not, under any circumstance, install Mother-in-Law 1.0. It runs a virus in the background that would eventually seize control of all your system resources. In addition, please do not attempt to reinstall Boyfriend 5.0 program. This is an unsupported application and will crash Husband 1.0. In summary, Husband 1.0 is a great program, but it does have... A limited memory and cannot learn new applications quickly. <laughs> you might consider buying additional software to improve memory and performance. We recommend Cooking 3.0 and Hot Lingerie 7.7. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about communication today. I thought that was a just. I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's perfect uh, for so many things. We're talking about communication and how to work on this. So last week is the submission idea, and this week is this communication idea. How do we dovetail these together? But also, how do, we, how do we work together a marriage that is bound extremely well and extremely tight together? Because you have this unique person. Marriage itself is just a weird, weird thing. You have this person with all their gifts and all their talents and all their, uh, their characteristics, and you pick another person with all their ideas and emotions and, and stuff, and then you slam them together, and that really sounds like a war. But it can be beautiful, can it not? Sometimes I think we're stuck in the war part. So what, I really, what we're really trying to work with in this series is how does it not look like a war, and how does it look like love? Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so this is, um, these are cords, <laughs> these uh, rope here. And so what we're going to do today is learn how to braid. Okay? Because if just one of these, even, if, even though this is strong, will break. Two of them together will break. But three, it's like exponentially stronger. Now, the, the metaphor breaks down because if one of these was actually God, it should be like a titanium reinforced, never will break anything. But you guys understand what I'm going with here. And so what we want to do is learn how to braid. If I can remember from my friendship bracelet skills in sixth grade, that's how I made my lunch money. You laugh, it's true. You start braiding. You start interweaving each other. You start working with that. I think some people are worried that once you start intertwining like this, you'll lose your individuality. But that cord didn't lose any form. It didn't change anything. It didn't become less because it's interwoven with the other strands, is it? It only gets stronger. It only gets bigger. It only gets thicker. It only becomes more functional. And that's the the danger. Uh, When I do weddings um, and, and participate weddings and you see weddings, uh, sometimes you see uh, the unity candle, 
And there's a big debate in, in the spouses, are we going to blow out the candles we had, or are we just going to let the, the individual one go, right? It's like, well, I don't want it to be a symbol of I'm losing myself and all this stuff. No, it's not a symbol of that. It's a symbol of how your flame is coming together and being lit together. The same as this, you're not losing yourself, you're gaining strength. And so we want to talk about today, how do we get braided together? How do we work on a relationship so they can stand against the pull and the strain of life? I want to recap. We're not going to talk about how to fight well today. Uh, sometimes I, I talk about that. We cover that in usually communication. But I do want to recap some of the practical stuff of last week just to hit it again um, before we move on. First is this. This is kind of how to... Um, how to fight or how to have a discussion or how to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes so you don't get yourself in too much trouble. Uh, this, for me, comes out of Ephesians 4.26 that says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And this has been a huge verse for me in how to deal in relationships. In your anger do not sin. It doesn't say never get angry. It says don't sin when you're angry. Feel free to go Yell at that pillow. It's okay, right? You got to expose that emotion or you'll explode in some other detrimental way. But in your anger, do not sin. I remember seeing my mom get mad, really mad one time. She got frustrated. But she's not in here right now, so I'll tell the story. <laughs> she... <laughs> so we went to a yard sale. She bought these uh, glass, um, like uh, before Tupperware, glass containers. They're really pretty, like uh, in the glaze and uh, like a red or a green and have the glass lids. And some of you might have them at home. So we're walking, watching. Uh, um, I did something and probably dad did something too at the same time. And mom got so mad, she picked it up and threw it on the ground. Only time I've ever seen her react that way, ever. You've seen the size of my mom. She's like a micro machine. She can't throw it hard enough to break it on the ground, which hence she throws it, boom, bounces. And I'm, I'm like terrified, but also laughing hysterically at the same time because she really wanted to break that and that did not happen. Um, so 12-year-old Jared, so it's probably my fault on all these things. 12-year-old Jared is trying not to hard to laugh, but trying, and she's just looking at me like daring me to laugh, but it doesn't break. Two days later, we're watching Antiques Roadshow. The same glass things are on there. They're worth like 70 bucks a piece. And she ta- so then I'm just looking at her like, she's like, don't you say it. <laughs> don't you say it. In your anger, do not sin. I don't know, you just got that story for free. Uh, but in your anger, do not sin. How do you do this? Keep your mouth shut. That might be the most difficult statement all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the hardest one for me. Keep your mouth shut. Second, identify what you're really mad at. Are you mad at the grocery cart that hit your van that your wife had no control over and your paint scratched? Because that will send some men like, whoa, I did it's not like I was throwing grocery carts at it, honey. You know, like that doesn't, is, are you really mad at that? Or are you mad at some other issues going on there? This is why we can't have nice things. I don't, what, what are you really mad at? Are you mad at dishes? Or are you mad at something else that's going on? What do you really, identify what you're really mad at. And second, how, or third, how can you help your spouse win in this situation? How can you help your spouse win in this situation? If you start reframing those things, because when I'm angry, the last thing that I usually want to think about is, how can my spouse win here? But that, 
see how that diffuses the whole problem? Because in anger, it's usually when you, you delve into selfish behavior and selfish thoughts and selfish ideas, and it all becomes about you. But if you start pushing on that switch to think about how do they win in this situation, you see how that diffuses it? Um, it's difficult. I'm not saying, nothing, nothing that we're talking about today is easy. This is not a three-step process to a perfect marriage, and it'll be done by Tuesday. This is tough stuff, okay? All these things can be applied, I think, to all personal relationships, especially those things. Um, keep your mouth shut, identify what you're really frustrated with, and uh, how do you help them win this situation? That works in all personal communication, uh, but it doesn't always work. There's no guarantee. Let me be honest with you on that. Sometimes it just fails. You tried your best, and you're like, yeah, that's still awkward. <laughs> They're still mad at me. I'm still mad at them. How do we work on this? All communication comes with risk. It also comes with a capacity for great reward. All communication comes with risk. It also comes with a capacity for great reward. If you're interested in reading more about this, there's a great book called Love Life for Every Married Couple, uh, which I took a lot of the application points out of it. Um, But... A great little book. It was actually a textbook um, for one of my family uh, marriage classes that I had to take in college. Uh, really easy read. It's not a textbook read at all. Anyway, I just want to let you know that's where I got a lot of these ideas from. But all communication comes with a risk. It also comes for capacity for great reward. First idea, we talked about blessing. We talked about edification this week. Now we're talking about sharing, to share. What does it look like to share? It demands giving of yourself listening to your partner, and being sensitive to timing. How do you braid? You share. Because the idea of a braid is what? For each one of these strands that would take the, the work on themselves to share the load. Does that make sense? So how do we share? We have to, have to share with each other. And what does that look like? Now, I got four-year-old twins, we're working on sharing. Sharing is caring, right? From my daughter's earliest moments, she has been able to manipulate Bowen to get what she wants. She is a wonderful woman. Going to, you know, that's what's going on there. I'm going to get hate mail for that one, right? She, she can manipulate the system. She can manipulate Bowen like nobody else can. I can't manipulate him that way. Kelly can't. But Kendall is like, mm, here's this shiny toy. Bowen drops whatever he's doing that she wants and goes after it. She's brilliant at it. Bowen... If she's got what she wants, just, I'm stronger, I'll take it. This is not sharing. But think about your interactions with people. A lot of the times, we're no better than four-year-olds. Their excuse is they're four. What's our excuse? We're grown adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we, we default into one of those two things, right? We manipulate into getting what we want. Or we brute force, this is mine. How you like me now? That's not sharing. So how do we, how do we get to a point where we're actually sharing and working together? <clears throat> Give of yourself. You have to listen to your partner. And you have to be sensitive to timing. That's a tough one. Be sensitive to timing. If sharing on all levels is key, togetherness turns the key in the lock. How do you share effectively? You share time. You share activities, you share interests, you share experiences. 
which leads to shared feelings and shared competences. You share time, you share activities, you share experiences. How do you do that? What does that look like? First of all, you can relax together. Some of you are like, Jared, if I'm thinking of relaxing, my spouse would not be involved. Right? You think, you think of any way that you're relaxing. No, 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 no. Don't you take that from me, Jared. But that's part of the problem. We have to learn how to relax together. One of uh, Kelly and I's favorite things to do together is uh, plan a trip and then take it. Kelly's great at planning it. I'm great at the relaxing part. It's a great symbiotic relationship. That's how we do. But we, um, a few years ago, before we had kids, so we had a little more money, a lot more money, um, we planned a trip to Italy. And we, I mean, we took every day, it was like a 10-day trip, I think, to, to Italy. And we planned every, everything out. We planned where we're going to stay. We did all these things. And it was this really fun exercise of just you know, kind of figuring out each other's interests and what that all looked like because Kelly wanted to go to different things than I wanted to go to. And I wanted to go to this and that. And how does that look like? And I'd been there in college. So I, there was some things I really, really wanted to show her. She's like, I don't really want to go to that. I was like, yes, you do. You don't understand how awesome it is. She's like, okay. I have to. So there's this weird, it was this interesting and, and neat uh, give and take of uh, what's going on there. And there's places that she saw on some travel channel show that she's like, we have to go there. I was like, but it's eight hours of the way. Why would I ever want to go there? Because it's amazing. Okay. And, and so it was this, this, this neat thing. And we had a blast on that trip. We had, it was, it was wonderful. But we had almost as much fun on that trip before the trip, engaging with each other, sharing our dreams for this trip, sharing what the, all that looked like. We could relax together. I'm not asking you men to give up fishing, Right? Like, oh, that's my way of relaxing, Jerry. Don't you take that from me. Or, I, I don't know, you know, women, I'm not asking you to take care of that, and your guys probably don't want to go either. Like yard sailing. Don't take yard sailing from me, Jared. That's okay. It's better for your marriage if he doesn't go, probably. Same thing. I, I'm not asking you to do that, but maybe find a, a shared experience together that you both can agree on. Secondly, <clears throat> you build rapport. And this one's hard because rapport is, is earned through vulnerability. Rapport is earned through vulnerability. You share ideas that make you vulnerable to the other person. Because that builds trust. Share ideas that make you vulnerable to the other person. Building rapport moves you from liking being around each other to loving being with each other. Thirdly, share revelations. And this is where you work towards understanding each other. You work towards understanding each other. Now, this one is so interesting. We were talking about uh, Kelly and I uh, put up crown molding in our house. Uh, we, we wisely got grandma to watch the kids while we tried this. Okay, that was, that was a good thing. We learned from YouTube on how to do crown molding. Upside down, backwards. I don't know. I still don't, haven't figured out the math. But this was the, this was the interesting part because Kelly is a math genius. Not so much. 
And, but I'm tall, so I can hold, right? <laughs> so, without ladders. And that was my benefit to this whole process. And so we, but we had to learn it and, and you had to do communication and you had to do all these things. We bought all kinds of Ikea furniture. I think from now on, when I do premarital counseling, we're going to buy a box. I'm going to take out the instructions from the box and say, put it together. This is a free, I am buying you this piece of furniture if you get it to work right. And if they don't kill each other after they put together the Ikea furniture, I think they're okay to get married. But you, you find out who you are, right? And who, how you communicate and how you talk to each other. And how, what does that do? And what does that look like? And how does that, how does that work through it? I think, uh, but when you make it your way through this, when you share this revelation and you share this project, we're really proud of this stupid crown molding in our house because we did it and we didn't even yell at each other. Woohoo! That's it. That's a miracle right there, but that's okay. So what... I'm not asking you to like take away all the things that make you, you, but what are the things that can bind you together? What are the things that you could braid and share experiences together? Maybe it's taking on something, and this is probably, if you're really competitive, this is probably a good choice. Do something you know absolutely nothing about, but you've always been interested in. All right? So for, for Paul and Yvonne, it's probably not Yvonne going, hey, I want to go out to the wood shop with you and learn how to do these things. That is a recipe for disaster because that is Paul's safe space. And Yvonne would not know anything. She's like, there's dust everywhere, right? This, is, this, is, this would not work well to, with each other. And for many of you, you have your own things that this is, oh, okay, that's, that's not working. So start maybe a new thing. What is a new? I've always been interested in this. You've been always interested in that? Yeah. Ah, let's do this. Kind of like the Italy trip. You've been, oh, it works together. You may be surprised on what you can share with each other that starts to bind you together. There are some things that if I do um, with Kelly, it will not be relaxing. And we learned that pretty quickly. On some of those things, you have to ask your questions, especially if you're more of the perfectionist tendency. My wife is. I'm not. But you have, to, you have to ask this question. Is their presence more valuable than your perfection? Now, some of those things is like, hey, I'll take care of this. Why don't you just go on and go? That's okay. You're okay. You have some of those. But so you have to ask yourself, is, your, is their presence more valuable than your perfection? My dad has gotten out of washing dishes always. They've been married over 30 years. You know how he did it? The first week they were married, he broke like three dishes. Knowing my mom, he didn't really mean to, he's just clumsy, but that's okay. But my, knowing my mom's tendency, she's like, no, 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 don't touch it anymore. I will, I will, I will take care of this, right? You know why? I never, I never touch the china. I barely even eat off the stuff, because if I broke it, Kelly would, I would be killed. Dead. But you have to ask this question, is, your, is their presence more valuable than your perfection? And for some of us, that's a very real thing. When we ask them to be a part of a project together, when they ask to share an experience, is it going to go exactly how I planned? No, that's a part of having people interact with you on those things. You have to be able to communicate well to be able to share well. T is for touch. So we've talked about blessing, edification, sharing, and now touching. The second way to communicate effectively is through touching. 
And this idea is it's something that God cements with us. <clears throat> Physical touch is the easiest way to form intimacy. It's just the easiest way. We don't have to think about it very hard. It's just the way it goes. This is the easiest way to form intimacy, but it can't be the only avenue for intimacy. Sometimes we think of sex as a barometer or a, 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 we know everything's going okay if sex is involved. But then sometimes a partner will use sex as the way to fix a problem. And so if one person thinks, hey, everything's fine because we've just been intimate, and the other person is, I'm trying to fix things with being intimate, see how that never actually fixes the problem because you're leapfrogging each other in this physical realm and nothing good, and it's not helping the situation. Is sex good? Absolutely. Is it wonderful for marriage? Absolutely. It has to be done and used in the right ways. It can't be a card that we play when we don't know what else to do. It can't be used whether to fix an issue or withholding sex to fix an issue. It's not a bargaining chip. It's a result of all the other efforts we use to build intimacy. There's other kinds of touchings as well, touching as well. Emotional touching. This is, uh, <clears throat> this is hard for me. I'm, I'm not good at this one. I can be emotional. I can, I can talk about emotions. That's not the problem. But being receptive to emotional touching is really difficult for me because of this fact. God gifted me with the ability to listen to four or five conversations at the same time. It's great for youth ministry. It's terrible for a marriage. Okay, I can, I can stay in one spot. I could be a great spy, I think, except I'm really verbose and no one could, everyone would know I'm, hey, uh. <laughs> but I can listen to like all these things going on and remember them. And it used to drive my dad insane. He, thought, he used to think that I was asleep in uh, church all the time and then I would repeat verbatim the messages back to him. Drove him bonkers. He's like, oh. Which made me happy. But I can do it to Kelly. And I can do it to teenagers. And I can do it to all those. I can watch TV and listen to the kids. And Kelly's talking to me about something very serious. And I'm like, oh, da, 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 go heat. You know, I'm watching, watching TV. There's no problem here. And then and all of a sudden I can, she communicates better because it gets really quiet wherever that conversation was coming from. I'm like, oh, probably should have paused something. Can I just tell you, men? Or women, the $9 a month in DVR to have the ability to pause a game is well worth your marriage. Okay, it's a beautiful invention. Just the Blackhawks will wait. I know I might have just committed some sort of heresy, but they will, right? There will be a commercial in two seconds, and it's okay. You can fast forward to it. It's awesome. Push the pause button. You cannot engage emotionally if you are connected to something else. Let me repeat that. I'll give you time to write it. You cannot engage emotionally if you are connected to something else. Being your phones, being your tablets, being your computers, being even your kids, being the TVs, being a hobby. You cannot engage fully emotionally if you are engaged with something else. You cannot connect with that person. You cannot engage emotionally if you're connected to something else so turn off the tv put down the phone 
I'd go so far as, I don't know if you have TVs in your bedrooms, but um, get them out. To emotionally touch, it takes a few things. You need to overlook mistakes. Be encouraging. And I found it really helpful to clarify what you hear. I'm really easy to jump the gun. Oh, I got the solution to that. I can fix that problem. And what I needed to say, I'm fixing a problem that Kelly didn't even have. What I hear you say is, it sounds cheesy. It's beautiful words. What I'm hearing you say is this. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, let's try again. What I'm hearing you say this time is this. Yes, ding, 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 ding. You get a cookie. <laughs> right? And that's just how you have to work it. Rephrase what they're saying so you can internalize it. They can internalize it. Yes, he actually is engaging with me. Or she is actually engaging with me. These times don't always work on our schedule. This, sometimes the most emotionally engaging, uh, when I or when Kelly or probably when you are trying to reach out emotionally is actually the worst possible time for that reach, for that touch. It's when you're late to get to a game, the kids just puked on the floor and, you know, something, and the dog's barking and something else is going on, but... Now is the time your husband wants to open his heart up to you. You can't miss it. Let the other things wait. That goes both ways. You just have to recognize when to stop it all to engage in these emotional touches. Mentally touching. This has probably been the most important thing that I've learned with Kelly uh, in 11 years of marriage. That might not seem like much to a lot of you because you've been married way longer than me, but this is the most important thing to me is how to mentally touch. We set expectations. We have a discussion before we have an argument. We've talked about all kinds of stuff that will never happen in our lives. What do you do if this happens? Oh, oh really? Oh, okay. Talked about we're going to homeschool our kids or we're going to put them in private school or we're going to put them in public school. We didn't even have kids yet when we were talking about that. What do, you, what do you even think about that? What do you feel about that? Just trying to get to know each other and then set expectations of, okay, this is how they're going to be. This is what they're going to look like. When we dated, we babysat um, one of Kelly's nephews a lot. And that was such an interesting thing to see how Kelly reacted to different things and to see how I reacted to different things. But we set expectations so we get to have discussions before we have the arguments. Because if you have your own expectations that you've never vocalized, and they've always only been in your head, and you, you get to the end, oh my gosh, they made me so mad. Why do they make you so mad? Because they didn't do this, this, and this. Have you ever told them that that was part of the game? No. My son is brilliant in making up rules to games. Brilliant. He, he was driving Jimmy nuts yesterday. Brilliant and make it, changing the rules so he'll win, but he doesn't do it at the beginning of the game. He does it in the middle of the game. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. We do that in our marriages. We move the bar. We move the goal. We're like, oh, well, you're hitting that one too easily, or that's, oh, that's not working out. Let's just do that. And don't move the goal. Everyone needs to agree where the goal is. That's how you mentally touch, spiritually touching. This is a game changer. 
Because so far, we've really kind of only talked about two of these strands. And that's better, the Bible says. One strand is easily overwhelmed, two stands together, can be defended, but three is not easily broken. We have to spiritually touch each other to really braid together, to really share life together. And the spiritually touching is really pretty easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It does take a lot of vulnerability. It takes a lot of vulnerability to open up your heart spiritually. Sometimes you're like, oh, okay, well, I can, I can do the physical intimacy and I can do the emotional intimacy, but we start talking about God, this just, just gets weird. And You've got to be vulnerable enough to talk in the spiritual touching. Two easy ways to spiritually touch. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Pray for each other out loud. Pray for each other silently. Pray for each other when you wake up. Pray for each other when you go to bed. Pray for each other at mealtime. Pray for each other all the time. And that binds us together. Second way is study scripture together. Pick one of the small letter books in the back of the Bible. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. Read a little bit. Two or three verses. And ask two questions. Real easy. What does that mean to you? And what does that mean for us? Two questions. What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for us? Some days... You're going to be like, I have no idea what that meant. I have no clue. And you can just laugh at you not understanding what the Bible's saying. I'd love to get an email. I'll help you if I can. Okay? It's my promise to you. I will answer those emails and say, okay, well, this meant this. Oh. And you guys can just share the moment of, I got nothing. <laughs> right? Or it could be the most beautiful conversation you've had in years. Two questions. What does that mean to you? What does that mean for us? Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I want us to be bound together. I want our marriages of this church and anybody who walks in these doors to get better. To be braided together. To be so strong that all the strains of life, of losing jobs and kids doing crazy things doesn't snap us. We've got to be better at this. This is not an area that I'm willing to compromise. I'm willing to fight tooth and nail for my marriage because I want it to be a shining example for my kids that it can be better. Unfortunately, the church doesn't seem to be doing that much better of a job of protecting its marriages than the world. And I honestly think it's because we're not willing to risk the vulnerability of spiritually touching and engaging with each other. We're not willing to pray for each other. We're not willing to read the scripture together. So my challenge for you today, if you're a married couple or in a relationship, dating relationship, interject prayer and scripture. What does it mean to you? What does it mean for us? It's five minutes of your day could change everything about your life.
Right now, last week, we, we shared a beautiful time of husbands praying for their wives. And uh, this week, uh, Jimmy's going to play, and I want to just encourage wives to pray for their husbands. Um, if they're not here today, just pray silently in your seats. Um, but out loud, women, if your husbands are here, pray for your, your husbands. And you can stay here and do that as long as you want. It might take you a little bit of time to make up courage, whatever. No one's listening to your, uh, your prayers. just want to urge you to do that. <laughs> Nobody's listening to it except your husbands. Um, <laughs> clarification. I want to encourage you to do that. Now, if you didn't get to participate in last week, husbands, feel free to pray for your wives as well. Just pray for each other in this time. We're not in a rush to, to get out of here. Um, this could be some of the most life-changing, marriage-changing moments that you've ever experienced. And so I want to encourage you in this, this next few moments uh, to, to engage spiritually with each other, just to pray for them. You know the struggles they have at work. You know the struggles they have of uh, trying to lead the family. You know the struggles of uh, life. You know them better than anyone else. You get to bring those struggles before God for them. That is a beautiful way to serve your spouses. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. and Thank you for this opportunity to work on our marriages and this opportunity to fall in love with you and this opportunity to fall in love with each other all over again. God, I ask you to bless these marriages. I ask you to uh, rain down a spirit of renewal in their homes. That, that this Memorial Day is not a, just a, a day, uh, it is a banner day of where our marriage has changed. And when something is different, that we can point back and say, that Sunday, that day in May was a day in which things moved. When things turned a corner, when things got stronger, when we braided together. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.